0: So today marks one year of us coming here. I know it's exciting. It's exciting, and, of course, you're getting to know me a whole lot better, and I'm all emotional today because it just marks the time. Okay, I don't know if we're interfering with one another. I don't know. Get away from me.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing.
0: <laughs> no. Um, But anyways, Zach and I have been talking about, you know, people will come to the front and they'll share with us a a word from the Lord, you know, something that the Lord is really impressing on their hearts in our worship gatherings. And I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, several times it's been something in regards to um, us holding back or not entering in or um, breaking free or freedom, uh, just along those lines. And so Zach and I started talking about it and... I just wanna talk a little bit about fear because I feel like a lot of times we don't step out in faith and respond to God because of fear. And you know, we know that there's a whole spectrum of fear. I mean, it can be you're just bound by fear or it can just be little quick or nagging thoughts that you know, ultimately control our responses. And that's exactly what we need to overcome. And put behind us because we should want to hear the voice of the Lord and feel the freedom to obey whatever he asks us to do. And I wasn't, this wasn't in my notes, but in reflection upon coming here a year ago, you know, this was a huge transition for us. You know, we were good. We were good with what we were doing. We were happy with our assignment. We were all settled in that. And to come here, the invitation to come here to even consider it was like, no, we're good. It, it just didn't even occur to me that we needed to open our hearts to this until the Lord had to wreck us over it. And now, and you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. Your, your walk with the Lord is an ongoing process. And we, we want to say, take a step of faith. And you know, that could look like a little baby step, you know, a teeny tiny. But after this last year, I want to tell people, just take a running leap because the lord has got you. It's been amazing this year that we have had. Now it hasn't been easy and we have certainly had, you know, some seasons of busy or seasons of difficult, but it's been amazing and I feel like the lord has drawn me even further out of, you know, a life of fear and I'm going to talk about that to now where I just feel like I just wanna grab people by the arm and say, don't be afraid, I'll take a running leap with you, even though it's not where God is telling me to go. I'm gonna go with you because I just have that much trust in the Lord and knowing he has got me covered. And I know he has that for you too. But I wanna go back in time just a little bit and tell you that I haven't always been so courageous. I actually used to really live in fear. And I've had a lot of uh, moments of realizing I was being fearful or I was um, just kind of living in fearful thoughts. And I tried to think back to some time when this really uh, started for me. And I was in high school. And so I have have, you know, two older brothers. Ryan was still at home with me. He's two years older than me. And so, you know, early in high school, Ryan's still at home. We came home from something, and my dad went back to his bedroom to play the answering machine. And so we can hear the answering machine going, and then my dad yells for my brother Ryan and says, come back here. And then he shut the door, and I could hear my dad playing the answering machine again and again and asking Ryan, do you recognize this voice? And it was kind of awkward because my dad is such a peaceful person. He's so mild. But I could tell, like, something is really wrong. And then my dad and Ryan came out, and they had formed a plan that someone had called our home and left a very bad message. I still to this day don't know what was spoken, but that I wasn't to go anywhere without my parents or Ryan. And Ryan didn't recognize the caller. We didn't know who this was, but that was it. That was the plan. It was summertime, and I remember going to the county fair and having to go with Ryan. And I had to walk everywhere with Ryan and ride every ride with Ryan. And we're very close, so it wasn't a big deal. But it was just like, oh, yeah, I have to stay with him. And he was staying very close to me. And and it, from that, it just put me in a tailspin of fear. I couldn't sleep by myself. You know, and I'm a teenager and i would go into my parents room and say scoot over i'm i'm just i'm so afraid and i didn't know what i was afraid of but i was just gripped by fear and over the years of my life i've had to come back to that same thing that i'm i'm controlled by fear or I'm having bad dreams. Uh, You know, Zach went on this trip one time, and it was all kind of a secret. He had to go through this training, and I wasn't supposed to know about it, but I knew enough that it scared me to death, and I had bad dreams the whole time and would wake up and remind myself that, you know, God is still on the throne. Why am I so afraid? So before we were going to go to Jerusalem, so this isn't that long ago, a friend of mine, Liz, had sent a book to me, The Bondage Breaker, And I was kind of holding on to it. And Zach was getting ready to go to Jerusalem for three weeks. And we had just sold our home in Missouri. We moved into our apartment. And I had Nate and Haley with me. And he's going to leave. So husband's leaving, two little kids, new apartment, new sounds, new neighborhood, new neighbors. And I could feel it rising up. I'm scared to death. How am I going to do this? How am I going to run this family with him in another country? And so I got that, bu- that book out one night, this was the night before he left, and I said, if you hear me crying, do not come in the bedroom. I'm going to work through this bondage breaker book, and I'm going to get over this fear tonight. And he was like, okay, yeah, well, whatever, you know. And it was serious. It was intense. I love the book, Bondage Breaker. It's, it really leads you through the reality of the war that we're in. And I know it gets kind of weird to talk about the spirit realm and, and angels and demons and things like that, but with all of my heart, with all the love in my heart, I have to tell you, it's real, it's real, it's a real war, it's a real battle. And I had to come face to face with the idea that I had been listening to the enemy and that's why I was afraid. And so, the, you know, the next day, Zach left for Israel, and that night, I put the kids to bed, and I got in bed, and I realized my habits of fear. I lay down in the bed. I faced the door. I would close my eyes, open my eyes. If I heard a sound, close my eyes, open my eyes, close my—and then that was it. I, it. I hit a point, and I was now angry. I was like, this is ridiculous. I have bad habits of fear, And so in Bondage Breaker, it gives you little prayers to pray. And they're real short, very direct. And I just stood up out loud. And that's part of Bondage Breaker, that it's not all in your thoughts, that you stand up and you declare it in prayer out loud. And so I stood up and out loud, I prayed my prayer against fear. I got in bed. I deliberately rolled away from the door and I closed my eyes and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I realized Here I am, a child of God. I am filled with the Spirit. I'm an overseas worker. And I had to stand up last night in my bedroom and pray against fear. So I want us to to be mindful that sometimes we want to think because we're believers that we're somehow immune to the enemy and his works. And that is a lie, And the church has believed it for so long. We think we are immune to things. And because we think we're immune, we don't address it. It just goes on and on and it builds and builds. And before we realize it, we're being controlled by the enemy and not controlled by the Lord. And what's amazing is that you don't even feel controlled by the Lord because the Lord is free. He says you're free in Christ, so there's no control. And that makes you feel afraid. Well, what does freedom feel like? I don't know, you know? And it's like, it's fear, it's all fear. And sometimes you wanna say, oh, well, I'm being wise. Well, we should be wise, but if the root of that wisdom came from fear, it's fear, and you're all controlled by fear, and I, I wouldn't be the cheerleader for our church to say, we don't need to be afraid. If I was afraid of even, like, disappointing people, we wouldn't be here. I had to put that behind me to say, you know, there's going to be some people who are upset. People are going to have to change their life course if we come here to West Lafayette, and I felt like the Lord was saying, trust me. I'm bigger than you. I can work things out better than you can. Move it, sister. And so it's just amazing at how we feel like we have to have it all lined out or it looks really difficult. Coming here was difficult, but it has been amazing, and I'm so glad I did. And so sometimes I just I want to challenge you that sometimes we get this idea in our minds that, oh, I don't know about that. When you feel that question or whatever area of your life you're walking in, if you know it and you can address it as fear, I want you to pro- proclaim it right then. That you are a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he reigns. He reigns over your life. He is good. He's wants good for you. It's everything good, even though it might be difficult. And anybody that's had to work with kids, you know. You have to say, it's going to be difficult, but it's for your good, and it is And it's those things God feels that way about us, but so much more. So I just want us to be reminded today that we don't need to live in fear. We don't need to be controlled by fear. And later on in the service, we're gonna take time and we're gonna pray this through. And I don't want you to allow yourself to say, she wasn't talking to me. God isn't talking to me. God wouldn't have me do that. I'm good. If there is a thought that runs through your mind, It's likely the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't want us to be a church that is held back by the enemy and the works of the enemy. I want us to be a church that says we are free, we have our freedom in Christ, and God is for us. And that is how the world will see a difference in our lives. We are not bound and we are not controlled by anything other than a God who loves us.
1: I had shared in a previous message that research actually shows the world is safer per capita today than ever before in human history, but yet we find a world much more bound by fear. Does anybody remember why? What was the correlation? What's made the difference? It's the rise of media. As media has come to the forefront, you can watch news 24 hours a day, Facebook, social media, whatever you want, you've got access, and so you look at the world and it causes you worry even though we're safer today than ever before. You know, and we should be informed, it's not bad to look at news, yes, but the problem is is to be spending more time reading and listening to news stories than spending time with God. What you spend the most time with is what will influence you. Are you consumed with what's happening in the world, causing you to live in fear instead of being consumed with God, spending time in prayer, reading His Word, equipping you to live by faith? It's not God's plan for your life to be bound by fear. And maybe you're not crippled by fear. You know, there's different levels of how that plays out in your life, but you struggle to live by faith. Do you have a hard time fully embracing the promises of God? We talked about that last week, that you can be confident in those. Do you make safe life choices because faith-filled living seems too dangerous? It's not God's plan. In fact, you cannot accomplish God's will. You cannot make much of your life for Jesus. You cannot make his name famous if you're living in fear. You've got to live by faith. And so this morning, we're going to continue our series on Luke. We're working through the birth narrative of Jesus with an understanding that God is here. What a wonderful promise that is. It's a powerful truth. From verses 1 through 4, we find that because God is here, we should tell others about His great story. And last week, from verses 5 to 25, because God is here, we can be confident in His promises. And now as we examine our Scripture passage this morning, here's what we're going to find. That because God is here, we can live fearless lives. In Jesus, you can live without fear. And as we examine our passage this morning... Then we're going to walk through these verses of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope you're bringing a Bible with you. I hope you've got a good study Bible, maybe a journal Bible you can take notes in. Uh, But I hope you've got a Bible with you in church. If not, they're in the seat uh, behind you. You can grab one of those Bibles. Sometimes they're underneath you. But we're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today, simply out of reverence. For the fact that we have God's word with us. Maybe we never take that for granted. You know, the early church, they got bits and pieces, letters as they came. We've got the entire thing. Maybe we not take that for granted. So Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38.
0: In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her.
1: And these are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So Mary, I think we know, is a rather important person. And her story actually begins with the first woman, Eve. I'll begin in Genesis 3.15, and you'll see the correlation between the two. The first woman that God made was named Eve. God created the world, created Adam and Eve, and in his image and likeness and entrusted them with the stewardship and oversight of creation. God allowed them great freedom to enjoy their life, but he forbid them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sadly, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed, sinned against God, and rather than leaving them in death, headed for hell, God came to them in Genesis 3, and he pursued them as he pursues us. And he spoke to them as he speaks to us. And in Genesis 3.15, we get the first gospel. God shows up and he preaches against Satan, the serpent, the dragon, who tempted Adam and Eve. And God says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is the answer to human sin, rebellion, folly, and separation from God? A son will come through the line of this woman Eve. There will be a battle between this male son and the serpent, Satan, and the Savior will be wounded and Satan will be defeated. And now from this point forward, God's people were eagerly anticipating the birth of a particular son. When will this son be born? The one who will conquer Satan, evil, death, be our Savior, be our forgiver, be our deliverer. And from this point forward, we see that this son is going to be born, and history moves forward, and a prophet of God is raised up, a man called Isaiah. And 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, he prophesies further revelation about the coming of this male child. He says in Isaiah 7.14, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah says you cannot, you should not, you will not miss this most important significant birth because the mother will be a virgin and the son she will bear will be named Emmanuel. Which means what? God God with us. That God is here. You know, many false religions, they're based upon the first lie in Genesis 3 where the serpent tells Adam and Eve that when they eat from this tree, that their eyes will be opened and they will be like God. But Christianity teaches something far different. It teaches that God humbly became one of us, not that we arrogantly become like Him. And so there was this expectation, this anticipation for the Son to be born through the Virgin, and that leads us to Luke chapter 1. The Son will be born, the one who would crush Satan, the one who would forgive sin, the one who would deliver people, who will be born to a virgin named Mary. And He lives without sin. And he dies in our place for our sins as our substitute, fulfilling all the temple ministry in the Old Covenant. And his blood was shed in our place for our sins. And he rose so that we might live resurrected, eternal lives with him forever. He then ascends into heaven. And the news of this man, Jesus Christ, went from a small group of people to a larger group of Jews, all the way out to Gentiles, people who are not Jewish by descent. They started hearing about this king, Lord, God, Savior, Christ Jesus. And this news reached the ears of a man named Theophilus. He was likely a wealthy, affluent, political man. A man of means and stature and significance and prominence. And he heard about Jesus and he was deciding whether or not to wholeheartedly give his life to him and be a fully devoted Christian. And he didn't want to simply devote himself without first investigating the facts. So he set aside a large sum of money He gifted it to an affluent and articulate medical doctor named Luke, who was also a very gifted historian. Theophilus, like Luke, was a Gentile. Theophilus likely assumed that since Luke didn't grow up reading the Old Testament, waiting for a Messiah, that he'd be a little bit more objective in his investigation. And when it comes to things like, was his mother a virgin? Did he rise from the dead? Who would be better to investigate that than a medical doctor, like Luke? So Theophilus funded Luke. To go on this investigative journey, to go meet with eyewitnesses, to look at the oral tradition, to comb through the written accounts of Jesus, and to compile all the information and write an orderly, truthful, historical, factual, accurate account of who Jesus was, is, and what he said and did. And so now Luke took years of his life for this great endeavor, and it culminated in him writing the inspiration, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the books of Luke and Acts a prequel and sequel. And so now when we learn about Mary today, uh, Shelley was just reading about Mary, we've got to infer that Luke actually sat down with Mary. He would have gone to Nazareth if she was still residing there and sat down with her. And by the time Luke interviews her, she's not the young Mother Mary, she's probably Grandmother Mary, likely in her 70s. So Luke is sitting down with an elderly Mary interviewing her. Mary, tell me your story. Is there anyone that can confirm that? Could I talk to your doctor, any friends and family, any other evidence that could support your claims? He's doing this investigative work. And part of his investigation included the narrative of the angel Gabriel showing up in Galilee with this announcement for Mary. Mary tells Luke all about the divine encounter, and Luke records every word, and as part of this encounter, the angel shows up and tells Mary not to fear. He says, do not be afraid. Following God includes the ability to live a life free of fear. From verse 30, here's what we find. That you can live a fearless life because God declared it. The phrase, do not fear or do not be afraid, they're common throughout the Bible. I'm sure many of you know that. Now, some have tried to say it's in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. That's not true. I'm telling you that up front. It's there maybe about 75 times, But it's still, no matter what, even though it's not there, 365, it still is frequently through the Old and New Testament. We can see it that way. We find in Isaiah that God reminds the people, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a promise. Paul reminds Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self control. And Jesus, before going to the cross, he told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What kind of peace did Jesus have? What kind of peace has he granted us? Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We're continually given instruction throughout the Bible to not be afraid. And how is it that we can live without fear? Because, as the angel Gabriel tells Mary, the Lord is with you. This phrase, the Lord is with you, it recalls the way the angel of the Lord, he appeared and addressed Gideon to assure him of God's help in the assignment he was about to receive. We find in Judges 6.12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And so I would say to you, you can live a fearless life because the Lord is with you. O mighty men, O mighty women of valor. You know, and we're highly favored. Mary's highly favored because she's the recipient of God's grace. A similar combination of words, it occurs in Ephesians 1.6. It says, His glorious grace which he has freely given us. It's the same Greek word as highly favored. You know, some people, some churches have implied that a certain grace had been found in Mary's character. And Mary may, may, may have been of great character. I, I don't doubt that. But the parallel in Ephesians, the only other occurrence of this verb in the New Testament, it shows that this grace is given to all believers, not because of who they are, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. You know, we're loved by God. If you're confident, Shelly and I were talking about this as we talked about fear. This is the biggest thing. If you're confident in God's love for you, You can absolutely live without fear. Reading from 1 John 4, John writes, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. To live without fear, you must first put your faith in God. For God to abide in you, you must abide in him. And as this happens, you're confident in the love that God has for you. Continuing in 1 John, it says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. To live without fear, you must put your complete confidence in the love that God has for you. What are you living in fear about? Fears regarding your future. Fears regarding provision, having enough food for your family. Fears regarding relationships. I encourage you to completely turn your life over to God so that you can live a fearless life. You can live a fearless life because God declared it. And you can live a fearless life because nothing is impossible with God. You know, the birth announcements of John and Jesus, they parallel each other very closely. We talked about uh, John's last week. Zechariah and Mary, they both encounter an angel Gabriel. They both respond to the angel and are told not to be afraid. They're both given the promise of a son. They both have questions. Zechariah's stemming from unbelief. Mary's from belief. The angel gives a sign and then departs. These are their parallels. However, even though both birth announcements have similarities, we find the birth announcement of Jesus surpasses that of John in several ways. The first announcement, the one for John in the temple, that's in response to prayer. The second is entirely by the initiative of God. You know, a question I sometimes get is, do we pursue God or does he pursue us? And the answer is yes. It's both. We pursue him and he pursues us. It, wasn't that joyful to know that? We have a God that pursues us. For Elizabeth, the conception of John by a barren older woman... You know, it was a wonder of God, but it had Old Testament precedents. We saw that in the Old Testament. But now the conception by a virgin, that's an unheard of wonder. John will prepare the way, but Jesus will be son and king forever. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. We'll see that next week. But Jesus' human existence is due entirely to the activity of the Spirit. Zechariah could not believe the angelic announcement while Mary declared herself ready to be part of God's people and purpose. Now, unlike Zechariah, Mary does not ask for a sign. She believes, but simply wonders, how will God accomplish what has been spoken? She says, basically, yes, Lord, I know this will come true, but I am really curious, how are you going to work that out since I'm a virgin? She's curious. She asks questions. You know, some of you are here and you could say, I believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He died for my sins. He rose for my salvation. But I have questions. Some people might even wonder if I believe in Jesus, but I have questions. Am I still truly a Christian? Absolutely. The answer is yes. There's a difference between that and unbelief, which says, I don't believe the Bible is true. I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. I don't believe he died and rose again. That's unbelief. But a person who can say, I believe the Bible's true. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he died and was resurrected. And I have a lot of questions on how that all happened. That's normal. It's okay to ask questions. Christianity is certainly big enough for questions. Mary asks how she can get pregnant as a virgin. She believes, but she has questions. Gabriel tells her how it will happen and then offers the sign that Elizabeth, Mary's relative, is pregnant. Gabriel declares, nothing will be impossible with God. One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. Nothing is impossible God. God can and will perform his word. His promise can be trusted. The entire birth narrative shows God completing his promises. For every short-term promise that he makes, we see this as we work through the narrative, it always comes to pass exactly as it was spoken. We can trust God to perform his promises. He will do it in his own time. He will do it in his own way, but it will come to pass. I don't know what you've been waiting on, what God has promised to you, but you need to have the confidence that he will bring it to pass. The virgin birth of Jesus, it underscores that God is our creator and his creative power is capable of making life out of nothing, merely through his overshadowing presence. This is part of why we take communion. We know that the presence of Jesus changes everything. If anything expresses the sovereignty of God... It's his ability to create life. God can create everything out of nothing. God can take an elderly woman like Elizabeth and open her womb, that he can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son. God can take on human flesh and enter into human form in the human form of Jesus. God can rise from death. God can raise us from death. God can forgive our evil hearts through the cross of Jesus. God can hear and answer prayer. God can take enemies and make them friends. God can take a messed up life and set it straight. God can resolve situations that appear impossible to work out. God can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it? This is why we're joyful and hopeful. When I talk about living in the joy of the Lord, and why I say that joy is different from happiness, because happiness is attached to what's happening in your life, where joy is resolute to say, I serve the God of the impossible, and I choose joy today, no matter what comes. This is why we sing and pray, because our God is a God of the impossible. You know, if you're facing what seems like an impossible situation, good news is, If you've surrendered your life to God, he can do the impossible. Your impossible situation is possible with God's intervention. If you're facing challenges in your marriage, God can restore that relationship. If you're dealing with financial challenges, God can step in and make a difference. You can live a fearless life because nothing is impossible with God. And the last point is this, is that you must live fearlessly as you follow God. Here's how this works. We know that we can live fearlessly. We can because he declared it. We can because nothing's impossible with him. But we also find here is that we must live fearlessly for God to accomplish his great purpose through our lives. If we're living in fear, God cannot use us to our fullest potential to accomplish his plans. He can't. Mary hears this pronouncement and she responds by saying, let it be to me according to your word. Now that's faith. That is a demonstration of living fearlessly. She believes what God says. Mary has what appears a simple faith, but this was no simple matter. She's being asked to bear a child as a virgin without being married. In standing up for God and his power, she will probably become the object of much doubt and ridicule. But Mary knows she is God's servant, so she will allow God to work through her as she wills. He can place her in whatever difficult circumstances he desires, for she knows that God is with her. Can you live like that? Can you allow God to put you in whatever circumstance he desires and trust that he'll lead you through? Can you trust God when he promotes you into a different department at work, full of people who need a relationship with him, which probably means they're not very nice people? Can you say, let it be, God, when he changes the plans that you've made for your life? God has declared it, He has shown it, but can you live it? Mary does not bring outstanding credentials to the task, and she lives in an obscure village. She brings nothing on her resume other than her availability and her willingness to serve. But those two characteristics are the most basic, necessary, and world-changing ones anyone can offer God. Availability and willingness. That's really all God wants. God doesn't need your resume. He wants you. Your willingness to serve in all that he asks. That is why one of our five core values is serving others. God desires this of all of us. God puts Mary to use in his plan, taking her through a process for which she's had no training or preparation. You ever been there? God puts you in circumstances. You say, I'm not equipped for this. There's a reason for that. God is. He wants you to lean in on him. Are you willing to journey with God in that way? Is his promise of being with you enough for you to live fearlessly. And what are the results of Mary's faith? A divine partnership. This is what's a great joy. The angel Gabriel tells Mary she will conceive, bear, and name a child. In turn, God will give him the throne of David and the ability to reign forever. The human and divine partnership are essential if Jesus is to accomplish his mission. But first, Mary had to be willing to live by faith. And Mary can live like this because she views herself as a servant of the Lord. You know, the word that often gets translated as servant in the New Testament, it comes from the Greek word doulos. And if you look up this verse in the Greek New Testament, in the original language the book of Luke was written in, you'll see the Greek word is doule, the feminine form of this word. And this word should literally be translated as slave. We just like to soften it in English translations. And so we use the word servant. Now, some translations, depending on what you've got, it may say bond slave. You know, in the word slave, it has many, many negative connotations, and rightly so. But this makes it difficult to use this word. But what happens here is we miss the impact of this statement by simply saying servant. Because what Mary is really saying is, I'm a slave of the Lord. You know, this statement might make you squirm in your seat a little bit. And why? Because we struggle with that kind of followership. We struggle with someone else, even God, our loving creator, having this kind of authority in our lives. Why? Because we have evil, rebellious hearts. We do. So for Mary to so willingly say, I'm a slave of the Lord, it's troubling. It's troubling because we know we should live like this, but we don't often know how. We don't think we can. How can Mary say that, we would ask. She can say that because she trusts God. God who says, do not fear, God who is with her, God who does the impossible, God who gives her favor, God who smiles upon her, Mary has faith, real faith in God, which leads to a joyful surrender, a joyful service to a loving God. You know, so many of us, we have a life charted out for ourselves, and we want God to bless it and make it all happen the way that we see fit. And if God should show up and rewrite our script, we're not very happy about it. Mary had a script for her life. She was going to marry Joseph, have kids, and live for God. And then the angel shows up and says, new script. And Mary says, well, whatever the Lord wants, he gets to write the script for my life. I love him, I trust him, and I'm his servant, his slave. In antiquity, the status of a slave was determined by the status of the householder. Mary's status as slave of the Lord was actually a very high status, and so she grabbed this as her identity. She understood that if I'm a slave of the Lord, that's better than anything else that this life can hold. You know, in Luke's characterization of Mary as slave of the Lord, he gets rid of the competitive maneuvering for positions of status prevalent in the first century Mediterranean world. People were vying for positions and status, not very unlike today, But Mary says, my identity, my status is in God, above anything else, any other title I could hold, any other status that I could have, it's in God that I find my identity. Mary, who seemed to measure low in any ranking, age, family heritage, gender, and so on, she turns out to be the one favored by God, the one who finds her status and identity in obedience to him in participation in his divine will. Does anybody know how old Mary was when she was betrothed or engaged to Joseph? Anybody know? Could be. That'd be the high end. Anywhere between 12 and 16 years old. That's how old Mary was. So God shows up in the life of a junior hire, a seventh grader, with this incredible message, and, and she just says, okay, God, I'll do it. I'm a servant of the Lord. So youth, junior hires, you think you can't change the world? Mary shows you absolutely can. Mary changed the world as a junior higher, an eighth grader. You want to know how she did it? Obedience. She can say, I had plans for my life, but I'm not in charge. God is. This middle school girl, although frightened by an angel, she's not afraid to fulfill what God has planned for her life. She lives by faith. You cannot live by faith and also live in fear. You're either living in fear or you are living by faith. Where do you find yourself this morning? When God asks you to share his story with your neighbors, are you willing? When a job transition's on the horizon, are you faith-filled or fearful about the future? In Jesus, you can live a fearless life. As we examine this passage and we look at Mary's response, it's it's easy to miss what she's willing to give up. She does not idolize marriage, she does not idolize her identity. She does not idolize comfort and security. Those are the things she's willing to dismiss for God. She's willing to open her hands and forego all of it. Let it be taken from her. You know, there's a provision in the law that said Joseph could divorce Mary for unfaithfulness. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And of course, an angel shows up for Joseph and tells him not to do it. So when Mary says, let it be to me according to your word, she's saying, God, if I don't get to marry Joseph, I'm okay with that. How many of you ladies... Putting together your wedding registry, your invitation list, if God showed up and said, nope, you need to let all of that go, you may never get married, even before you get to your wedding day, your fiancé may turn his back and walk away from you. You could say, I'm totally fine with that. Whatever you want, God. You know, there was also provision in the law that said to make an example of her for all the other young women, they could strip her naked, redress her in rags, abuse her verbally and physically, tie her up in the town center. Call her a whore and leave her there for a good long while as an example for the other women that they should not get an idea of being a fornicator or adulteress. So what she's saying is, God, I'm okay with that. I'll let go of Joseph. I'll let go of my reputation in this village. Mary's willing to let go of her comfort, her security, her reputation, her marriage, and she doesn't blink. It's instantaneous. I'm the servant of the Lord. Whatever you would ask of me, God. Mary's response becomes repeated by her son, Jesus. Think about the model that Mary was for Jesus in the home. Before being crucified, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, being asked to atone for the sins of the world through the shedding of his blood, what does he say? Father God, your will be done. Do you think he saw that in the life as a mother? I know he did. Can you say that this morning? God, whatever your will, let it be done. If you ask me to move to Yemen to tell others about you, your will be done. If you want me to start a prayer meeting at work, your will be done. If you want me to move to another neighborhood so that your name might be made famous there, your will be done. You must live by faith to advance the kingdom of God. You must live fearlessly to fulfill God's plans for your life. How could your days look different if you chose to live by faith and not react in fear? If you had full confidence in the God of the impossible, what would you do differently tomorrow? What could God do through a church full of fearless people? There's no stopping a church that's full of faith-filled, spirit-led, mission-minded people. There's just no stopping it. Don't be afraid. God is with you. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close this morning. And the music team's going to come as as we close in song today. And as you're standing, I'd, I'd like to ask, if you've been living in fear, maybe fearful of what's going to happen to you after you die. Maybe this is the first you've heard, or maybe it's the fifth time, the seventh time, the twentieth time you've heard about who Jesus is and that he grants you eternal life. But now you've still been living in fear because you've never turned your life over to him. I want to give you an opportunity to turn that around today. I want to give you an opportunity to say, I want to follow you, Jesus, and have the confidence in your promises for my life, confidence that you can do the impossible in my life, confidence that I can live with you for eternity. So with every head bowed here this morning that's you today and you'd say you know what I've never given my life to Jesus but I want to follow him with all of my heart soul and mind I no longer want to live in fear if you could just simply raise your hand today we're going to pray with you before you go that we can have you dedicate your life to God today anybody that would say yes that's me I want to follow God I want to give my life to him I no longer want to live in fear I'm going to have Shelly to come And maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you can still be gripped by fear. It's it's not just unbelievers that are influenced by fear, it's believers too. So, I want her to be able to ask you some questions and I want you to begin to process. So, maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you've still been gripped by fear, but you need to give that up to the Lord today.
0: So, earlier I mentioned that, you know, sometimes we believe this lie that as believers, you know, we're not going to be affected by the enemy. And it's just a lie. It's absolutely a lie. And so I wanna point this out to you in scripture because remember what Zach said, if it's in the Bible, we want it right here in this church. And if it's not, it's out. We don't want any part of it. It's just ridiculous. But right here, it's so clear in this moment. In Matthew 16, 13 through 16, Peter is declared You know, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is such a powerful moment between Jesus and Peter. And basically, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you know, this couldn't have been revealed to you except through the Holy Spirit. This is a profound moment. And then right after that, in 17, it says that Jesus begins talking about his death and burial and resurrection. Now he's gonna start talking a bit more plainly with the disciples. And Peter says, Jesus, come over here. Why are you saying these things? Don't, don't talk like that. And what does Jesus say? I'm gonna read it because it's just it's beyond powerful. In verse 23, it says, "'But Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, "'Get behind me, Satan. "'You are a hindrance to me, "'for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, "'but on the things of man.'" I mean, there it is, right there in scripture. And we have that tendency to to just read our Bible one verse after the next, after the next, after the next. The chapter changes, we just keep reading it, just like a novel, and we forget that right here it is. And we'll live our lives and say, I'm a believer, the enemy has no power against me. And that's right, he doesn't have power unless you give it. But what do we do? We just give it (laughs) so freely. We don't even realize it. And so today I want us to just acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of our lives, but we give way to fear and we give way to the enemy in those tiny little things. But those things are so powerful in what God wants to do. In in the Walgreens line, when Jesus is saying, Just invite him to church. Just give him an invitation card. And in that moment, we can be like, I'm gonna look like a crazy person. What will the person think behind me? And in those moments, I just start getting my wallet out. I start digging in my purse. I'm gonna find that invitation card. Why? Because I'm not gonna let the enemy control me in that moment. I'm just not gonna do it. And I wanna challenge you. Let's take those steps of faith. And I want us to do that right now. I know we're believers, I know we love the Lord, but I want us to acknowledge that we are not gonna be led and controlled by the enemy, by his patterns, by habits, like me. Open it, I hear a sound, open my eyes, I hear a sound, open my eyes. Let's just put a stop to it or at least acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's take some time to pray here just for a minute. Lord, we love you. We just thank you so much that you love us, that you're for us, that you're powerful, that you grant your power to us, God, that we can walk boldly in your your name, Lord, that we can speak boldly in your name. We can pray boldly in your name. We can do all of these things, Lord God, but we freely give it up or we hesitate, Lord, or we don't acknowledge you in a moment when we should. And you're here with us. Your word declares that You're Emmanuel. God with us. And yet we don't take steps of faith. We don't speak when we ought to, Lord. We don't love like we ought to. We allow the enemy to whisper and we believe. And Lord, I just ask that you would just quicken that in our hearts today, Lord Jesus. I want to pray with you guys this morning because I know I'm not alone in my own walk with fear or anything else that the the enemy whispers. So I just want to open the altar and allow us to pray with you. Prayer team, if you guys don't mind to come on down and just go ahead and spread out across the front this time. And let's just pray with one another and let's declare who we are in Christ. And I want you guys to come forward and just let's pray. Let's leave it here. Let's walk out of this sanctuary today declaring God rules our lives. And don't let the enemy whisper to you and say, don't do this. Don't pray. Don't go forward. You're hungry. You want to go have lunch. Guess what? You're not starving. You just had donuts. Let's take some time and pray and let's surrender this to the Lord and let's renew our minds today.